Well, all you new listeners will have heard the update on the Paddy Jackson and Stuart Oling situation. Uh, now, of course, we know a lot more. Neither player will feature for Ulster again after their contracts were revoked. Uh, that was after they were acquitted of rape. As we discussed last week, opinion has been polarised on what the correct course of action would have been on the part of Ulster and the IRFU. That's still very much the case. In fact, a poll on the Belfast Telegraph website asks whether Ulster and Ireland were right to sack Jackson and Olding. At the time of recording, it sits at 55% saying no and 45% saying yes. So, Jonathan, expand on that a little bit. What has the reaction been? The reaction's been as you would expect, given the discourse throughout the last couple of weeks and how polarising it's been. There was no surprise that um, the announcement was met with the same fever of difference of opinion. I mean, it was a really strange sort of atmosphere on Friday night at the game. The story had been going around since that afternoon that the decision was imminent and which way it was going to go. Um, a lot of the fans in the stadium probably weren't aware of that, but certainly were by the time they got home. Um, there's been the natural, as you would expect, reaction from the people that wanted this to be the outcome the whole way through and have welcomed the news and then we can look at some of the reaction in places like Twitter and supporters forums so on and so forth that have taken the news very badly and have called for amongst other things a boycott of uh, of Saturday's game against Glasgow um, today which is Tuesday just in case we don't get this out for a while um, <laughs> Rob Herring read a statement on behalf of the players um, just to give their their reaction to it as well. So are we gonna let are we gonna let people hear that? Are we gonna read that? What are we gonna do? <laughs> well we'll we'll let them hear it. <laughs> Here is what Rob Herring had to say on behalf of the players. It is with a great deal of sadness that the players and pro staff learnt of this outcome. We know that the two boys will be successful both on and off the pitch wherever they go. As a group, we have to move on. And our full focus is now on Glasgow this weekend. Well, is that uh, all we're going to hear from Ulster? Um, and Paddy Wallace was in the newspaper yesterday on Monday asking sort of for an explanation as to the reasoning um, for the revoking of the contracts. But is that likely or um, is that statement on behalf of the players sort of the last we're probably going to hear from Ulster in an official capacity? Well, when the statement came out from both Ulster and the IRFU in regards to both Paddy and Stuart's situation and the Kurgoa situation as well. Um, it was said that there would not be any further comment. Uh, the press conference today, it was made clear that that was the only question, um, sorry, that was the only mentioning of the situation that there was going to be that sound from the players. So I would, I would assume that that's the only official comment that you're going to get on the issue. So 
The other thing that we should note is Shane Logan making media appearances yesterday um, to discuss, amongst other things, the uh, the decision. I mean that the transcript of the Q and A that I did with him is uh, is on the Belfast Telegraph website. If you haven't seen that already, where he addresses a few of the issues, um, talking about the stories about whether the decision was financially motivated, um, discussing the tea, uh, the organisation's position on the players and uh, the difference in the sanctions. So I wouldn't expect that we're going to hear any more from within Kingsman Stadium on it. Yeah, of course. Um, we've mentioned Shane a lot in recent weeks and... Um that interview that he had done with the, the Ulster rugby guys. Um, I know he was accused a lot of a lack of um, accountability following that, and that was one of the things he discussed in what was a, a very interesting interview, wasn't it? It was very interesting. And, I mean, whenever it emerged that he was going to be doing interviews, I think the biggest thing that everyone sort of expected was we're finally going to get answers. And really, you look through that interview, and he sidesteps some of the some of the questions really well, and that's not a compliment to him. Uh, so, things like he, he still doesn't see that YouTube video as a bad thing. He doesn't see where that went wrong, which is still incredible to me. But there were things in the interview that just didn't give you that clarity that you wanted. And that's not down to the questioning. I think if you if you read it, you'll find that the questions are all very fair and they're all uh, definitely looking for the answers that you want. But you don't you don't get what you need from it. And that's the thing. He needed to come out. He needed to speak to the media. But he needed to be candid. He needed to be open, and he wasn't. So for all for all the good that he's done by actually coming out and speaking to the media as opposed to hiding behind this uh, these PR answered questions you know, now he's just given answers that he has clearly prepared beforehand to uh, questions that have been asked by Johnny and that to me is all the more galling in my opinion uh, than the YouTube video he spoke as well about um, the disconnect uh, that there exists between fans and Ulster Rugby as an organisation. Mm-hmm. Will this interview, well, presumably from the things you've said so far, this interview is not going to have taken any sort of a significant step to bridging that? Well, I don't see anything from the interview that w- would encourage anyone to turn around and say the team is on the right track. Because we've heard from Rob today that the players are, um, you know, they're they're disappointed they've gone. They they understand uh, why they've gone, but they're disappointed they've gone. Uh, and Logan w- was part of that committee that uh, said that they would be leaving. So the problem is for me, there's nothing from this interview that would suggest to me that. As an Ulster fan, I should be turning back round and getting behind this team because right now there just seems to be polarising opinions from all different sides of the organisation. 
Well, Jonathan, back at the time when he had given that uh, interview to the Ulster Rugby's in-house guys, um, you were very sort of vociferous about that. Um, has this interview gone anyway to sort of um, alleviating those concerns? Well, it's dangerous to be vociferous around here. You need to watch yourself. Um, I was surprised, obviously, yesterday at around four o'clock to get a phone call saying Shane Logan's going to be available at quarter to five, um, which is a bit, bit of a strange situation. Obviously, involved tearing up the paper, which was which was never great, and starting again. But um, there we are. I mean, the way that the interview is presented in the Telegraph is not something that we would do very often, but it's presented in yeah. the format of a Q&A so that you can see the questions and see the answers that are given to them. And it's probably up for people, it's up to people to make up their own mind on what they think of it. Um, when you're talking about accountability, then I don't think the answers to many of the questions actually greatly differ to what was said in the YouTube statement and... I'm sure there's some people that are disappointed by that. Um, looking at the at the piece as a whole, I mean, it's not the kind of thing that I particularly like to do because I like to write, and that was essentially interviewing and then presenting a transcription. But under the circumstances, I think that was the way that it had to be done um, in order to try and create that level of accountability so that people can see the way that the interview was done, the answers presented, the hopefully pertinent questions. Um, they were. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and as I said, it's really for fans and the fans that have been calling for the chief executive of this organisation to be more of a public face when things aren't going well. It's up for them to judge whether they think that's what um, the events of Monday were. Well, another thing uh, some fans on social media have been calling for is the, the CEO to become not the CEO anymore. But um, as the, the back page headline stated, that's certainly not going to happen. And he was very clear on the fact that he was staying and wants to try and lead Ulster uh, forward. We've talked before very early on when we were doing this podcast about the how much of a link a chief executive has to goings on on the pitch and if things had gone differently say with injuries I'm not going to mention PNR or anything like that because that is part of an organisation but things that you can't avoid like injuries or even this season the unavailability of Paddy Jackson who is your most important player really because of the position that he plays in and the standing that he has and the ability that he has. There are certainly aspects of that that can't be avoided. Um, the question that was put to him from me was, even if you are doing a positive, the positive things that you say you are, is there no argument that if the CEO becomes such a lightning rod, then it's not a positive position for the organisation to be in regardless and that was rejected as well so look he says he's not going anywhere and he's consistently said he's not going anywhere so I can't see that changing
Well, as always, we threw it open to you, the beloved listener, um, to ask anything that you would like to ask. So quite a lot of those questions this week were surrounding what it means for Ulster going forward now that Paddy Jackson and Stuart Olding will not play for the province again. Um, so we'll start off with the weekly Donal, uh, Donal O'Reilly's weekly question. Um, he assumes that Will Allison is a like-for-like replacement for Olding. So if that's sorted, the question follows... Who would be a choice um, to be Ulster's new number 10? And he even mentions bringing back a certain Christian Lelefano. Is that going to happen? I know that was mentioned in this morning's uh, newspaper as well. Yeah, well, look, uh, when Christian Lelefano left, um, he didn't rule out a return one day. Um, he's out of contract at the end of the Super Rugby season. I think a large part of this is going to depend on Michael Checker's thoughts and whether he's going to bring him back into the Wallaby squad or not. So, much in the same way that last year, last summer when he came in, it made a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense now because you're still in a position, I think, where you need an experienced 10. You now know in no uncertain terms that the one that you had you no longer have but given the time frame of where we are in the season now it's not like you're going to have your pick because um, you know I think on the on the rugby the rugby pod there are other rugby podcasts out there I don't know whether we're allowed to admit that but um, <laughs> Jim Hamilton was talking about how early he'd had his contracts for the next year wrapped up and you know, it's pretty obvious that most players now know where they're going to be playing next year. So you're looking for somebody who maybe wasn't available before but has become available. Or somebody like Leila Fano that already has a relationship with the province. So it would seem to be the most convenient fit, certainly. Um, and obviously fans would, uh, would welcome him back as well. Adam, you're a bit of an expert on player contracts. Can you tell us any other names that might enter the frame? I'm currently reading through all the different uh, contracts. But Johnny summed it up. So many guys already have their futures sorted. There are guys who are technically still out of contract. Guys like Bernard Foley and uh, you know Leila Afano, as we mentioned. Marty McKenzie with the Chiefs is out of contract at the moment. Um so there there are a few big names still out there. I have no doubt that they are all all have something agreed. Uh, Robert Dupree is another one with uh with the Sharks. So there are names strictly speaking still out there, but I'd say you you are looking at uh only a few names that are still out there, unfortunately. Lele Fano's one of them, Quade Cooper is another one. So you, you've got to start searching high and low for anyone who's available because unfortunately the Bowden Barretts and the Dan Carters of this world uh, have got something sorted for next year already. Well, going to Donald's actual question then, as Warden was, if you had your choice, who would be your new number 10? Oh, it would be Bowden Barrett. Without a no, well, of a doubt. No, I, no, hang on. I'm going to put in who would be your realistic choice. Realistic choice. Um, <laughs> we can sit here and say, I want to say, see Glen Avon sign Mo Salah all the time, <laughs> but it's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Um, in that case, you are probably looking at Leila Fano. I mean, 
if you want to say that Bernard is that, is that an emotional um, desire because everyone loves him so much, or is that he is the best from a, a brain point of view? He's the best option out there. Well, I'll, I'll add something else, and then I'll answer that. Um, if we're talking about people who are technically still out of contract, then Bernard Foley, I would absolutely have. Uh, but from a Lelia Fano point of view, it's it's a it's for a couple of reasons. Emo- from an emotional point of view, yes, he has been here. He did enjoy it here. He had a good relationship with John Cooney in that nine ten axis. I thought they worked very well together. Um, so it's not like you're bringing someone in for the first time to this squad. They they know what what's going on and what it's about. But from a logistical standpoint as well, the fact that he can cover 10, he can cover 12, uh, you, you have that ability to bounce him about the back line a bit. It keeps Johnny McPhillips having uh, having a bit of game time, you know, letting him progress because he's done really well uh, since Lele Afano left. So he, he's a good signing for a few reasons. But Ulster at this point just needs someone who will come in and fill that 10 void and give it, given the choice, if you're talking about players who, strictly speaking, are still available, I go for Bernard Foley. From a realistic standpoint, uh, it would be bring Leila Afano back. Jonathan, realistic signing at 10 then? I would agree with Adam in that um, Leila Afano is probably the best realistic signing in the sense that he could come back in and wouldn't take any time to adjust. We've heard Brayden talk about the commitment to making sure young players get enough game time next season, and that would have to be part of it. We would have to see the blooding of the next 10 making that step from academy into the senior setup. There's there's quite a few young 10s about, um, chief among them, Michael Lowry, who's had his injury problems, but he's still very young. Michael Lowry, Lowry. Um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, they're like there's there's Houston as well. He's coming through, but he's even younger. So, but you just need to make it so that to use that unpopular phrase, succession planning, to make, to make it that you have somebody ready at the end of Lily Afana's contract. Uh, Mark Ingram asks, uh, "You resign Pinar for ten? That's just not going to happen, is it?" Well, it shouldn't happen because Pinar was not a successful 10 here. He was an extremely successful 9, but uh, his appearances at 10 were not as well received. Oh, look, Pinar's a good enough player to play 10 here. and The way things worked out, he probably would have um, been happy to play 10, but he was never really... It was never his preferred position from a purely personal standpoint, as much as he said, I'm happy to play anywhere because, you know, he, he's a good soldier. But um, he didn't want to play 10. Yeah. Well, um, our last question then uh, comes from Prop Winger on Twitter, I think has asked questions in the past. Um, he's focusing on if Ulster are handed an Irish qualified fly half. Is that more likely to be Ross Byrne or JJ Hanrahan? If that's, I think that's how you say his second name. I'm going. It's got it's out there now. Well, but the first thing I should say is I don't think they're going to be handed either. But if they were to get one of them, I, I would guess it would be Ross Byrne, given that he would be further. Well, actually, I completely forgot that Munster have Keatley and Blendal ahead of Hanrahan, so. I suppose it really is one or the other. If if I was to say which one I prefer, I think I prefer Burn. 
but in terms, I'm just going to say they're not going to be offered either of them, and that, that's the bottom line. So, so also, the scenario is going to be that Ulster are getting an overseas fly half as a boost in Irish. I just think when you talk about the idea of getting somebody to move north from one of the other provinces, because John Cooney's made such a success of it, it's something that people will look at naturally, mm-hmm. and then Marty Moore and. Uh, Jordy Murphy to come, but like Marty Murray's not coming from Leinster, he's coming from Wasps. John Cooney wasn't coming from Leinster, he was coming from Connacht. And like I'm not saying they wouldn't have come regardless, but they weren't coming from their native province. And then you look at the situation with Joey Carberry, who's made it quite clear that he wants to stay at Leinster. And that sort of puts you almost in a difficult position from the 10 standpoint because Joey Carberry wants to be at Leinster. Ross Byrne has been very impressive all season, but he's got a lot of minutes this season because Joey Carberry is going to be in Joe Schmidt's squads and Johnny Sexton's going to be in Joe Schmidt's squads. So you don't have that obvious answer that you had in John Cooney of you had an international quality scrum half somewhere else who at the time, because remember this was before he made his Ireland debut, wasn't in the national squads. So from a Leinster perspective, you can say that they have Ireland's now first choice and second choice 10, but Carberry doesn't play 10 for them really. I know he did at the weekend. He's played 15, so he's getting minutes and Johnny Sexton's getting as many minutes as he needs and Ross Byrne's getting loads of minutes at the minute through November and... February and March time and even September because these international boys are away so that puts you in a difficult position with Leinster Munster as well because Tyler Blendall's missed so much time with injury this year and Ian Keatley's had um, a, a very strong season like it's not that long ago that we were talking about Ian Keatley and I'd suggested that he'd be the one to target because of Blendall and Hanrahan Hanrahan at that time coming back to Munster that you could target Ian Keatley and I mean it didn't get a positive reaction at the time but obviously I think people would now agree that you'd probably uh, take him in a heartbeat but that's very dependent whether there's a surplus of Munster is wholly dependent on Blendell's injury because if Blendell is still injured then they only have Keatley and Hanrahan and then Bill Johnson maybe coming through so there isn't the same obvious fit that there was with John Kinney I'd take Keatley simply to complete the Grand Slam of provinces. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's nearly there. It's getting there. Um, just to close off our listener questions for the week then, um, there's one that we'd like to discuss. It's not about a player, but uh, about summer um, comings and goings. What's the latest on the, the coaching positions? We haven't sort of discussed that for a couple of weeks. and um, That was something, something else that Shane tackled in his interview, wasn't it? Well, Shane says it's not as close as... Um or the progress hasn't been made on it that uh, we assume has been made on it in the sense that he said that they were, they were whittling down a long list into a short list. Um, now, Jono's obviously been known to be departing for a while, but that's where Shane Logan says they're at. So certainly in when you look at names like Andy Friend or Jim Mallander, Shane Logan's stance on it is that they're not in that position to have a short list yet. 
Well, on to the match talk then, um, and again, another week, another win to mull over. Um, a low-scoring game, 8-0, uh, Ulster beat Ospreys on Friday night. But again, that was a much-improved Ulster on what we've been seeing in recent months, wasn't it? It was a much-improved Ulster, and it's the first time I got to see them in person. Uh, <laughs> so you're not the problem? which is No, I'm not the problem, which is... Uh, brilliant, it might be the problem with them getting over the line because that that seemed to be the only thing that Ulster were missing You know, whenever you have 80% of territory and so much possession it's incredible to think that the game only finished 8-0 and obviously of course it did but this was a game where Ulster just took the game by the scruff of the neck and said we're going to beat you into submission effectively there was no kicking for the posts beside Cooney's sixth-minute penalty. They just kept going to the corner. They kept battering away at the line. All credit to the Ospreys for what was a superb defensive performance. I meant to look up how many tackles they made, and I can't remember now, but they they went through some incredible shifts uh, on defence, and Ulster just could not find that one killer pass to break them down. They couldn't find that way over the line. But in my opinion, that shouldn't be too concerning. You can, obviously, you need to work on you know, making sure that final pass sticks and get over the line. But in all honesty, I think this is one you can just say, look, we came up against a team who st- structured themselves really well defensively and we just could not find that one pass. Just focus on that in training and move on because... On the face of it, it was actually a good performance from Ulster. Jonathan, the, the other good point about last week was that we as a podcast are not the problem, because that had been levelled <laughs> at us. Um, so, relieving from, from our point of view. Um, on players' point of view then, who made this go, go right for Ulster? Well, Matty Ray had a really good game, um, and is now walking around on crutches, so that's just <laughs> the way things are going. Um, Matty Ray had a really good game Ian Henderson had a really good game John Dazel who we talked about the week before had another very strong game a couple of big turnovers so of the things to come from these last two games regardless of where it gets Ulster at the end of the season like a big encouraging thing has been one how much better they look with their three internationals two the way that young players have performed um, Tom O'Toole Ross Kane Matty Ray, um, Matt Dalton all coming into the mix at some stage over those two games. Uh, Ross Kane, sorry, I should have mentioned um, during the Who Played Well in that Ospreys game. Um, Just a point, how many times have Ross Kane looked to be going down injured and then miraculously popped back up and went straight into a scrum or something like right. that? It was incredible. Keep, keeping track of subs during a game like that is normally quite difficult in terms of making sure you have it written in your match report that somebody's come off because you always miss somebody when you go to write somebody at something else. So like you always start it when it looks like somebody's coming off. So like I had the wee open bracket beside Tom O'Toole's name like three times throughout that game, <laughs> ready to type in when he came on for Ross game, but he just kept getting back up. So yeah, it it constantly looked like he was gonna come off. Um It's like the black knight from Monty Python. <laughs> Every time he got hit and I just kept going. <laughs> That's Daphne before my time, and Monty before your time too. 
Um, well, we'll hear from him a little minute. I would like to point out it's before all of our time. Uh, well, just about, <laughs> just, just about for some. Just saying, I got ignored there. Um, John Dazel, then. Um, we're going to hear from him a little minute, but how encouraging have those last couple of games been for him? He said, or sorry, no, he didn't actually say, but uh, Brent Cunningham said in a few interviews that John was one of those imports who acknowledged that he hadn't been good enough in the early parts of the season, knew that the standard wasn't where he needed it to be. And you'll hear from him in the interview just how he says how much he's now enjoying his rugby, how that's turned round. And for Ulster, one of the things they badly needed was that big destructive ball carrier, someone like Nick Williams or like Pedri Vandenberg that they've had in the past, who you can give the ball to, he'll make a few yards or he'll suck in a few defenders, or he'll do both. That's what they have been badly missing, and in John Diesel over the last couple of weeks, they found that player, and that has been instrumental to what they need to do, because in order for Ulster's backs, who are extremely talented, and we know that, to function, it needs someone taking the brunt up front, and whenever you've got someone like Diesel who you can turn to on a frequent basis with ball in hand, that takes such a weight off other players and then it allows guys like Matty Ray and Ross Kane to pick up some carries of their own and some destructive ball carries and then you've got Ian Henderson who can do that anyway. So for Diesel to be able to take a lot of the a lot of the stress off them in the ball carrying, it makes everyone else's job a lot easier. It's really changed the breakdown as well. Mm. How well he's uh, he's doing at the breakdown now. Like, there's no getting away from the fact that it was a difficult season for John Dazel, partly because of injuries, partly because of form when he did play, because he looked so good that first game when paired up with Marcel Coutinho and then Marcel went down, and then you weren't getting the same John Dazel that you've seen in that first game. So the fact that he's come in and put two really good games together um, is a huge thing, because we talked about it at length, that you weren't getting what you needed from your NIQ contingent and he's made a big difference throughout the last uh, the last two weeks. Well, without further ado, we'll hear from the man himself. Looking back to the win over Ospreys, is John Dazel or Dazel? Not sure. I won't say it was a bit of a panic. I think there was a little bit of a uh, missed opportunities for us as a group. So uh, we never felt out of it. We just made some uh, like the last pass or last offload, and I think we could have kept kept and uh, maybe put a little bit more pressure on them. But uh, no, I never felt there was a a sense of panic uh, among the guys. Like I say, they were tough opponents, but uh, like I say, with that type of territory in the game, it's, it's I won't say it's easy, but it's just decision-making at the end. It, I think it's a reflection of a couple of weeks we had uh, training-wise. We've really been training well, well as a group, and I mean, like guys move in and out of the, the 23, and they come like a guy like Ross Kane comes in and, and he delivers, and I mean, like you haven't played a game in a while. So I really do think uh, this is the build-up of a couple of good training weeks, and uh, we have a little bit of momentum now and uh, hopefully you can take some of it into the Glasgow game next weekend. Yeah, I'm really enjoying it. Uh, I think uh, enjoyment was a big part that I missed uh, in the beginning and I'm, my body is feeling good as well. So I'm really enjoying it. And like I said, we've got a great bunch of guys together and we all work for each other. And, and like I said, I think the enjoyment factor is coming through for everybody. Well, another big game coming up this weekend, the last game of the season, at of the normal season, I suppose, at Kingspan. Um, Glasgow arrive and... Well, thanks very much, Leinster, for a start, um, because uh, their loss to Benetton last weekend just makes this game sort of ten times more important than it could have been, doesn't it? 
Well, the fact is Ulster still have their destiny in their own hands and we've got to remember that even... Yeah, we should just, just clarify Ulster a point ahead of Benetton. Yeah. But, but Benetton's last game of the season is against Zebra, so that's going to be a win. So Ulster need to win one of their, their last two fixtures. Well, the thing is, if Ulster can get the win this week, it makes that gap five. And if they can get anything from Toman Park the week after, that's them into that playoff and that's job done. Go and prepare for that. Problem is, they're coming up against the Glasgow side who have run away with Conference A, have added that sort of dogged edge to their forwards that complements their backs, and are just they're just in great form. They just they're really enjoyable to watch when they play rugby, and it, it depends what team is coming over because Glasgow have already got first place wrapped up. They don't need to come over here looking a result. They've they've got what they need. They can take the next two weeks off for all anybody else cares. So it completely depends on what Dave Rennie decides to do. Does he give, you know, half a squad this week off and say, Don't get injured ahead of our semi final? Or does he say we've got so many weeks because there is a big gap between them playing their final game and their semi final. So does he say let's try and keep a bit of this continuity going? See, I think that's the thing. Whenever the new structure of the Pro 14 was announced, there was always this possibility, and we talked about it ages ago, that if a team did really well in the Pro 14 but did not do well in Europe, then you were going to have a long gap without games. Mm-hmm. So, like Adam says there, and I know he doesn't mean take the week off, but just that mentality of if they don't approach these two games with their full-strength team, then their full-strength team will not have played for a very long time. Mm-hmm by the time that home semi rolls around. So I think we might see a stronger team selection possibly than where some people are possibly expecting when they say that Glasgow don't have anything to play for because you have to keep people ticking over. And the thing is, this is going to be Ulster's biggest test for a while and we said that Edinburgh were going to be difficult and they were and the Ospreys were in good form coming into this game or into last week's game sorry which they were but Glasgow are a cut above both of them Glasgow didn't perform in Europe for whatever reason but in the Pro 14 they're just they have that ability to mix and match the squad they have that depth that they can bring guys in and out and they just have that ability to gel no matter what team they put out there so even even if they do come over with sort of half and half squad like Johnny I expect they will come pretty loaded but if they even did come across with the half and half squad they they'd be pretty in sync with what they're going to do so Ulster need a third big performance from their pack in a row just to get that forward platform. But most importantly, they've got to get that final pass sorted. And well, I said, it's not. I don't think it's a huge problem from last week. I think it was just one of those weeks. They just have to make sure they've got it going this week. They have to get back to where they were against Edinburgh. Otherwise, because you know Glasgow aren't going to pass up on opportunities. We've seen how they're able to go from under their own posts and score at the other end about 20 seconds later. You know, they have that ability, so they have to be switched on and make sure that any time they get into that 22, into the red zone, they have to come away with something from it. You mentioned early, earlier that 
Uh, Matty Ray was knocking about in crutches earlier after getting man of the match last weekend. Then it was confirmed at Tuesday's press conference that he's he's missing this one. Massive blow. Yeah, so he's going to be out. It'll be interesting to see what happens in the back row because one of the listener questions that we got was um, who's Andrew Trimble upset? And yeah. um, Chris Henry's another one that we, we haven't seen of late. So Sean Reedy is there in the mix. Uh, John Dazel's in the mix. Nick Timoney. Um, but it'll be interesting to see what the absence of Matty Ray um, does to the team selection because Matty Ray has played a lot of games this year. Um mm-hmm. We've spoken about how good he's been, but it's I think it's maybe gone over the radar of just or sorry under the radar of uh, just how many games he's played because he, like he, he's if he's not hit twenty appearances he's very near to mm-hmm. it, so he's been a pretty consistent figure in that team selection. But I mean, just thinking about that game at the weekend with uh, Benedict and Leinster, I mean, I wouldn't judge. Benetton at all for the way they played out the end game because you could see what winning in Dublin for a first time meant to them but I mean they were on the line with the clock about to go red and then played the ball back and kicked it out you know that one point actually makes a big difference because otherwise these two teams would be level now Ulster in a situation where essentially they just need to win one of these two games go five points ahead and then unless something dramatic happens um, looking at points difference, then Ulster are going to be okay. But I just keep thinking back to that game here in November and how different uh, these last couple of weeks would be if Andrew Trimble hadn't scored that try later on to win the game here <laughs> because that essentially is the difference this season now. It's not really over-egging the pudding then to say that this game could well decide Ulster's European fate. I mean, it's their last home game. Now you win one. Well, you say that, but you look at the Munster game next week and you never like looking too far ahead, but uh, Munster, if they won this weekend, if they beat Racing over in France, they're already guaranteed second place in Conference A. They've then got a Champions Cup final to look forward to. You could absolutely see them putting out a week inside or a changed side. Sorry, I shouldn't say weakened side. Changed side. You're, you're allowed to say weakened side. It's like, we don't have to adopt coach speech. <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay. We're, we're allowed to say dropped and not rested. We can say weakened side if it's a second choice. Okay, <laughs> okay. They would put out a weakened side uh, against us in preparation for that. And even, even if they didn't win this weekend, just simply to give their guys a week off after a bruising semi-final in preparation for the Pro 14 playoffs. So, if Ulster lost this week, they would obviously much prefer to get the win this week and make sure they're not going to Toman Park absolutely needing something. But I wouldn't, win or bust. I wouldn't say it's win or bust. No, absolutely not. Because as much as we talked, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, about how uh, you might see a much-changed Zebra side mm-hmm playing Benetton on the last day of the season to try and get an Italian side into the Champions Cup, you could equally see a, a very different monster side with uh, maybe a sub-objective of helping Ulster. Mick, Mick, Mick Galway, uh, Peter Clossy and Anthony Foley were just uh, just shocked by that statement <laughs> that any monster side would ever, uh, ever turn over for Ulster, but... 
No, and I'm sure everybody would have been anyway. Four Pride Provinces and all that, but um, <laughs> everyone should very much be supporting Monster this weekend. <laughs> well, um, that's how we see the game then this weekend. Here's how Ulster's assistant coach Dwayne Peel saw it. We understand that um, you know Edinburgh probably you know, they do need to slip up now, but we can't control that. So all we can do is push forward, and um, you know we've got two big games left for us, and, and we prep as if uh, as if we've got a lot to stick. You know, I think the, the the performance in Edinburgh was, was excellent for us because we've had a few disappointing results before that. Before that, you know, going away to Scarlets and, and stuff, and um, yeah, to be in the in the hunt now was great because um, you know hopefully we can stay in it because we're starting to pick up a, a bit of momentum and if we can carry that through and we actually end up getting getting somewhere, then you know I think we'll be uh, not many not many sides will fancy fancy us really. I think you know move forward. Well, on to the club roundup then. Um, there was a very exciting weekend of club rugby ahead last week when we were chatting, um, and uh, the season's not over for a few um, Ulster clubs yet. No, we have the playoffs coming up this week, but we'll take you through what happened last week. Uh, before that, so in Division One B, it was disappointment for the two Ulster clubs as Shannon finally came through as winners after they came from behind to beat UCC 40-17 to finish top. Banbridge got second. They held off UL Bohemians 32-30 at Rifle Park and Hinch finished their regular season with a home defeat as they lost 16-13 to Old Belvedere. Meanwhile, Balamina completed their great escape with a 22-21 victory over Old Wesley at Eaton Park. In Division 2A, there was good news for an Ulster club. Malone got the job done as they hammered Nina Ormond 43-19 at Gibson Park to finish top and gain promotion to 1B. City of Armagh snuck into the playoffs at the last gasp. They defeated Greystones 24-14 away, while Queen's University finished on a high as they won 38-28 at home to Galway Corinthians. In Division 2B, despite a 28-8 defeat to runaway winners Old Crescent, Rainey are into the playoffs this week. Dungannon lost 32-17 to Scaries. Belfast Harlequins go into their relegation playoff off the back of a 2015 win at Navan, while City of Derry finished life in 2B with a 39-20 defeat at home to Wanderers. And in Division 2C, Oma held off a spirited bruff challenge, winning 19-14 at home, while Bangor finished their season with a 42-12 loss away to Tullamore. So what that means for the playoffs in Division 1B, Bambridge will host Ballina Hinch. In Division 2A, for promotion to 1B, City of Armagh are on the road to Highfield. That is at 3pm. Sorry, I should have specified all the games this weekend kick off at half past two, uh, unless otherwise specified. So Highfield against City of Armagh is at 3pm. In Division 2B, Rainey are at home to MU Barnhall. And in Division 2C, Belfast Harlequins host Malahide, while Oma host Tomond. And also in the round robin for promotion to Division 2C, Estonians welcome Bellina to Shaw's Bridge. So if I'm not very much mistaken, that's um, four Ulster clubs then still with a chance of promotion via the playoffs. Um, The big ones in Division 1B. That could be very significant. Five? Five mm-hmm. in the playoffs? Who have I missed Five. out? So we've got Bambridge and Balna Hinch in 1B. We've got City of Armagh in 2A. That's it, Rainey in 2B. Uh, and Oma in 2C. And don't forget, Belfast Harlequins are trying to stay, yeah, to stay in yeah. 2B uh, with their game. And 
you can make it six if you count in Stonians in the round robin as well. So yeah, we'll we'll make it six because that absolutely counts as promotion chasing. Very true. So loads loads of clubs. Um, it could be very significant. Banbridge sneaking second to get home advantage, couldn't? Yeah, it's a big deal playing at home. I mean, that's a good game to go to. It's a little bit close to the Ulster game for maybe us to go to. Um, it's too close. I've tried to time it and <laughs> I wouldn't make it in time to here. So. I suppose if you're not coming to the Ulster game for any reason, there's a nice alternative for something else to do, isn't it? Mm, that's it. Um, watch Frampton, watch Leinster. You've got plenty of things to do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I assume that's going to be our, our game of the week. Have we got any, any tips from it? Is the home advantage going to be enough? The thing is, for me, it, it's a cracking game. And Bambridge and Balna Hinch uh, have had two great games this year already. I was at the game at Ballamacarn Park and Bambridge put in one of their best performances of the season. They were really impressive that day. But Balna Hinch have that experience. Bambridge... This is their first year in 1B. They've done incredibly well. I've been really impressed with them uh, every time I've seen them. But Hinch have that experience. They've got the likes of Pete Brown. They've got Pete Nelson. They've got a lot of senior guys in that squad who know what it takes to win big games like this. And sometimes that can be what puts you over the edge as opposed to uh, maybe home advantage. So it's going to be incredibly tight, uh, and it really it all depends on who can manage the day better, in my opinion. So you you're not pick, you have to pick somebody. Uh, well, I know I have to pick someone, and I was trying to stall for time a little bit there <laughs> while I thought. I I'm going to go for Ball and the Hinch, but by, by the narrowest of margins, it's gonna it's gonna be really close, as playoff rugby always tends to be. One vote for Ball and the Hinch, John. Ulster releases are going to be important as well. Obviously, this game um, was might have been a free weekend for Ulster originally, so that'll change the selection in, in terms of who's playing for Ulster on Saturday, who's involved in Ulster on Saturday. But just so that you have to pick, um, I'm going to go, go for a home advantage and say the Banbridge Owen. Well, thank you for that. Um, we should just point out that when the winners of this game will play the winners of um, St Mary's, who finished ninth in Division 1A, and UCC, who finished fourth in Division 1B. And I'm going to say that it will be Bambridge playing in that match. Um, what a surprise! What a surprise indeed. But I did try to be <laughs> impartial there, and I really... I think home advantage will be will be key. Bambridge, strong at Rifle Park, and I'm going to say that they're going through. So a good weekend as well uh, for Malone, who, as we predicted last week, um, got that league title in the bag. Yeah, <laughs> it was looking a little bit hairy for a while. Uh, Gibson Park, it was very to and fro, and in the end, I suppose it didn't really matter because Highfield ended up losing on Saturday, so Malone were going to be champions anyway, but. I was really impressed with how Malone, even every time they kept being pegged back uh, by Nina, they just always stayed ahead. And eventually, whenever they got two scores ahead, they just didn't look back. They just turned the screw uh, and they finished it off really well. Uh, Really impressed with Joe Dunleavy, the academy uh, back row. I thought he was excellent at blindside flanker Jack Jack McMurtry sorry uh, he came on off the bench and I thought he was brilliant he was a fantastic impact sub in the second half uh, scored a brilliant individual try 
So, on the day, throughout the season, Malone very much uh, worthy champions and it was it was good to see so many people out at the game as well you know the the uh, very small stand at Gibson Park was absolutely packed and there were people all the way along the pitch you I know, couldn't even get into the stand you couldn't even get full. into the stand <laughs> did they not know who you were I don't think anyone does um, <laughs> And if they did, they certainly wouldn't let me in. (laughs) But no, very impressed with Malone. Uh, Massive congratulations to them, and uh, they will certainly enjoy life in 1B next year. It was great. It was a very enjoyable way to spend an afternoon for... It's been ages since I've had a free Saturday. Like I think I counted, and there's been 16 Ulster or Ireland games on Saturdays, basically since, what, October time, the middle of October. So to have a free Saturday where I wasn't working, and... Especially like the way that the weekend had gone and you know, spent part of Saturday morning writing a piece um, for the newspaper for Monday and just for the, the general atmosphere and stuff on Friday, it would have been enough to sort of sully you from, uh, you know, maybe just going and doing something else over the weekend that wasn't rugby. So to go down and see a good game and good people all around was a very positive experience to have on the, on the weekend. Adam stole my Joe Levy point, which is why I'm going off on a tangent that doesn't really <laughs> mean anything here. I was gonna I was gonna talk about how good Joe Levy was, but um, that's well, been done. So I haven't seen plenty of uh, Malone this year. Um, what are you trying to say? I'm not trying to say anything. <laughs> I'm just saying you've seen plenty of Malone this year. Um, how do you think they'll get on in two uh, A next year? Can they or no? One, sorry, one B, one B. Can they do as well as Bambridge have done? This is the thing with Ireland League rugby that it takes a while for good teams to get up to their level and it takes a while for bad teams to sink down to their level. So to use Oma as another example of if a club's building the right way, to use Bambridge as the same example, if a club's building the right way and heading in the right direction, it's not like, to use the example of the Premiership, and the championship where whoever comes up, possibly with the exception of uh, the Bristol Bears um, <laughs> this year, is always often the favourite to go straight back down. It's it's not like that in all other league rugby because it's so much, and in club rugby in general, it's so much about the direction that you're heading in if you have momentum and if you have the right people involved and if you have the right spirit involved. Like I spent five, six years covering qualifying one rugby and... When I started doing that, Bangor and Oma weren't even in qualifying one. <laughs> they were below that. And to see the way that they've grown just year on year, you know, it is possible to get promoted and to make an impact in the league above as long as you're um, as long as you're building the right way. Which, to be fair, Malone are. There's been a real buzz about the team. There's been a real buzz about the club. The whole way through, like the women's team's the second team as well at Malone um, this season. So, yeah, you really hope that, uh, that it continues in that way. I'm going to give Malone a lot of credit because they seem to have the right mentality in that team. And I'm, I'm going to go back a long way back to their first defeat of the season to Queens, where they were on such a great run, and all of a sudden Queens really pulled off a shock at the time and beat them at the dub. That could have put them onto a little bit of a slide, but Malone got straight back on the horse and started winning again. And even, you know, whenever they didn't win it uh, a couple of weeks ago, whenever they then lost to Highfield last week, there was no panic. They just kept going. They got the job done in a very professional manner on Saturday. 
uh, and now they are the champions. So whenever you have the mentality like that, that can bode very well for you, even whenever you're jumping up a division. Because it was obviously a much tighter game than the final score would suggest. You know, it was twenty. Yeah. It was twenty-one nineteen. With about twenty minutes. Yeah, to go. leading off on and like the opposition tight head with his Wesley Fafana feet for <laughs> on more than one occasion was was sorry. Another thing apart from Jude and Levy that that uh, stuck out from that game. So it was obviously coloured by the fact that Highfield in the end didn't um, do what they needed to do, but it was a lot more nervy than the scoreline would suggest, but Malone really handled that last 20 very well. Well, here's what Malone captain Ross Todd had to say about a momentous day for his club. Listen, yeah, no, the whole season comes down to a lot more than just sort of 15 players, or 20 players in the squad. Um, you know, it comes down to the entire club and, you know, everyone here is behind you. They travel with us, um, but to be able to come here and do it in front of the home crowd and everyone to get in for the lunch and be, basically be able to pull out a performance to... To go to the final yard in the end was, was fantastic, yeah, it was a great experience. Every game here has been pretty tight and this league is pretty competitive. Everyone's beaten everyone and uh, you, don't, you don't know what sort of team's going to turn up on the day. Um, definitely no one this week. Um, there was a lot of pressure on us. We were the team in the lead, but with Highfield right up our tails, we had to step up. And again with Nina trying to play into the playoffs. Again, they had a lot to play for, but I'm glad the boys all stuck in. It meant all this and we stepped up in the day. There's a lot of chemistry between all the team. You know, from Malone side, I think we've quite a young average age. Um, but it's, again, it's just the groundwork. You know, there's a lot of people come in with coming in extra, to do the extras an hour before training just to sort of talk over things and get the basics of set pace and things done um, and I think that's what sort of builds the chemistry and helps us really to get up beyond and, and be able to succeed at this level you know um, my first year at the club was in Division 1B and it was, a, it was a relegation year unfortunately so fingers crossed next year is a lot better and we, we go up there and really compete if we keep maintaining the team we have and the team spirit that we've got the coaching team and again all the backing that we have here at the club I think we can really go up there and compete and create a bit of havoc any particular standout moments from this season or any standout games? Um, I think whenever you get a, a defeat, our first defeat of the season was against Queen's. So I think then going over to Queen's and then beating them by a considerable margin was, was pretty, you know, it was just to show that we had it in us. Uh, I think at that point it was the turning stage that just gave us confidence back and we thought, you know, we really have this in the bank. We've now beaten every team in the league um, and we just need to keep that confidence up to be able to continue through. You know? but, and obviously today was, was without a doubt the highlight, getting the job finished. And on that note, uh, that's us for this week. So from Ross Todd, from Adam McKendrick. Cheers, guys. From Jonathan Bradley. Thank you, Kenny. And myself, Gareth Anna. Thanks for listening.